Yes, it's me, Mark Stone, and this is the Backseat Driver Podcast. I'd like to introduce you to the Backseat Driver Radio Show to John Joe Volans, uh, former editor of Modern Classics, uh, journalist, classic car journalist, classic car buyer. John Joe has been involved with the classic car movement for years, but the one thing he is into is Modern Classics. John Joe, welcome to the Backseat Driver Radio Show. Hello, thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Now, the burning question... What constitutes mm. a modern classic car? Well, how long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> the show lasts for an hour. Oh, we might just we might just make it. Um, right. Well, this is a, it's a thorny old subject, really. Uh, a modern classic essentially is is just an interesting uh, vehicle that people are enthusiastic about. That, from our point of view, in the magazine, we we put an arbitrary date of 1980, and essentially anything that had a following beyond that was was classed as fair game yeah um there's there's obviously a lot of it surrounds the following um why does a certain car attract a, a large amount of people who are interested in it is it the engine is it the handling is it the performance is it the styling does it do something completely different to other cars is it bold it has to do something different essentially um your sort of everyday mundane grocery getter stuff it struggles um there are some in there again if they do things differently and they're more interesting or or uh, they've almost completely disappeared and that was also another crucial thread to um to modern classics was looking for cars that had once been everywhere street furniture as we like to call it um, <laughs> that now has just disappeared entirely i mean you, you don't see things like proxel novas anymore you don't see uh cavaliers you, you hardly see any uh, Cortinas, that kind of thing. You know, everyday fodder that people took for granted that now has all been scrapped. Sadly. Yeah. Um, so that's that's essentially what it is. Uh, and obviously, everyone's definition differs slightly. Some people are more into their their chassis cars. I like I like Lotus for that reason. Um, I'm not I'm not as drawn to engines as some people. Some people, it's all about the engine experience, um, and it has to be. You know, a multi-cylinder symphony, and and the, the rest can sort of be further down the list. But um, yeah, it all depends on on how you like to drive, what gets you going, and and what excites you really. I mean, you mentioned the Vauxhall Nova, and uh, uh, saying that, yes, everywhere you went, there used to be a Vauxhall Nova, especially the little SR models. That every every boy racer going drove a Vauxhall Nova. They were boy racer cars. They were rally cars. They were mum's shopping car. They were all and quite right as you said. There is no. I cannot remember the last time I saw a Vauxhall Nova. No, absolutely. I saw one. Well, I saw one. I, I was emailed uh, by a chap who had one this week, and it was an SR actually. And uh, I almost bit his arm off at the chance to to photograph it and, and hopefully do a, do a video for my YouTube channel on it. Yeah. But for the same reason is that that they have disappeared out of all existence, and it's a shame because we we all grew up with this kind of stuff. People of a certain age and talk about you know people in their thirties and forties and fifties even. You you sort of remember fondly of uh, if you'd have kept going, you'd have got to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you're probably you're probably on the top, on the top of our uh, our old reader sort of demographic, but yeah, but yeah the, we all remember sort of you know three wheel 
nights around the car park in McDonald's when you shouldn't be. <laughs> it's something it's something old and interesting, and, and you know a lot of the time it was stereos more powerful than the engine. That yeah, was, that was all part of the charm, really. Um, and then obviously Max Power came along, and that that whole era sort of uh, saw the demise of a lot more of them in you know, <laughs> showers of fiberglass. <laughs> I mean. One of the things, when things are normal, I commentate a lot of classic car shows. And one of the sure. things that I introduced was all classic car shows work in age categories, so the, the owners know when to bring their cars into the arena. I introduced mm -hmm. 1990 to 2005. That resulted in two things. One guy came up to me and played hell with me and said, no classic car should be at a show if it's older, if it's younger than 1970, which I disagreed with 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 enthusiasm wow. and where was the show where was the show fully enough it was in cheshire of all places oh okay interesting. and also um i suddenly discovered that as soon as you went 1990 to 2005 you suddenly got this influx of young owners and the great thing was whether you agreed with the young owner's choice of vehicle it suddenly demonstrated that a, a lot of there's a lot of young owners and a lot of classic what they perceive as classic car enthusiasts and owners out there and yeah. all of a sudden it redefines in your mind and in what is a classic car i mean some one young girl brought a beautiful peugeot 205 gti in and yeah. i commented to her i said i was on the launch of these cars i said when they were brand new i said you're making me feel extremely old but <laughs> Do you find with the modern classic that young or it's young or it attracts young owners? There are young people coming into the movement. Yeah, I mean, in general, yes, of course, and it's. I mean, I understand both sides of the argument. I've, I've got, I've got proper classics in very commas. Um, I've got a fifty-year-old Manta, and, and I, I am interested in older stuff as well. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a bit odd in that regard that I, I'll be as happy stripping a carburetor as I will, you know, lowering a car with new suspension. Hmm. But, um, yeah, obviously, in general, time moves on. And car enthusiasts are car enthusiasts. They don't suddenly disappear with a new generation. People are into cars because they're, they're visceral, exciting, you know, emotive things. And, and it doesn't matter how old you are, that, that, still, that still grabs certain people. Um, and as time goes on, the older stuff um, disappears or becomes perilously expensive so you don't want to drive it or use it so they become less visible and obviously the generations move on so people want to drive stuff and be excited by things that they want to when they were youth um and if you grew up in the you know 80s and even the 90s uh now you, you weren't particularly excited by bmc stuff from the 50s you, you do get people who are and at both ends you know you get older people who are interested in in modern classics and you get younger people interested in proper classics it it, it doesn't um i've got to stop using proper classic that's the wrong way to describe it. you know what i mean yeah. established classics um but yeah people people like what they like and if they're if they happen to be younger brilliant and obviously you know we have to remember we're custodians of these things we're not we're not the owners we are they are tr you know they're transient we're not yeah these things are going to pass on to someone and if if we all sort of cling desperately to these old cars and say that you know they're ours for eternity and nothing past a certain date is a classic then it's just it's not good for the hobby is it in general no and um, i mean one thing that fascinates me and i've never actually managed to get to visit it is the uh, is it the the exhibition of the unexceptional which oh, is yes. held out and it's yeah and the 
so it's great. Yeah, it's very good. And you things like the Triumph Acclaim, which at the time nobody, well, nobody really said anything nice about, and the little Rover 213s. All of yeah, a sudden, I mean, these cars I mean, are making an appearance. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they are. And, and I, I mean, I, I jest, but those, those kind of cars are exactly what I was talking about. It's the stuff that you don't see anymore. It's the, it's the kind of stuff that, you know, your teacher drove when you were in year six at school and you always sort of looked at it and thought that was quite different and interesting or, or you know, it just it stuck in your memory because a, a neighbour had one and it was a nice colour or whatever it was. These, these things still resonate and um uh, for me it was a mark one cavalier my dad had a uh a mark one cavalier with a vinyl top uh and my one of my earliest memories was opening the garage doors and just seeing that that red griffin badge on the grill and yeah. it still stays with me now and i must have been i was the height of the grill so i must have been three or four yeah um and that's one of my earliest memories and i was i was really annoyed when dad uh Dad eventually destroyed that by running out of oil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he sees the engine on a hill. Don't talk about that. My, my family are very much, bless them, they're very much into old things. So they've always done old, old houses and old furniture and things like that. And we always had cars kicking around that were a bit older. But it wasn't It wasn't ever, they weren't interested in cars. It wasn't that they were they were around. They were just the cars that they ran into the ground because yeah. they just used them until they dropped. Um and and yeah, I've all, I think that's where it came from. Really, it was that sort of interest in, in anything old and preserving old stuff, and not just not just jumping into something new when something old breaks. Yeah, um, which I, I still keep to this day. I'm, I've I've not had a new car ever. <laughs> now, the one thing is, we went through an era in the eighties and nineties mm. of cars. Um, it was like some of the, the build quality was definitely questionable, but people didn't question the fact that the cars weren't that blindingly well built. And I think that's why some of the old classics survive. Ultimately, they were actually quite well built with some of them compared to the say, modern which, ones. Which cars, which cars do you mean? Uh, well, I mean, uh, I mean, I own a Fiat, and Fiat now, I'm oh, fortunate okay. to say, don't rot quite like what they did do. But you look sure. at so, some of the Mercedes. Mercedes went through a, a bad metal period, whereby yes. two years old they were uh, they were rotting with enthusiasm and yeah, to a de- um, to a degree some of these cars verged on disposable they were, it was like an era of you bought it ran it for two years uh, and that, like the fiat strada or as they called it in the rest of the world the fiat ritmo the abarth versions f- a phenomenal thing the 105 one and the what, what was it the 130 people you say yeah. oh buy it brand new run it for two years then you don't want to own it when it's two years one day <laughs> I mean, or there's countless Lancias we can we can direct the same sort of attention. Yes, to. I mean they're fabulous sounding, driving, you know, great, enthusiastic, exciting things. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a million different reasons for that. I mean, a lot of it is down to paint. Um, there was a there was a changeover in paint in the 90s between um, sort of old, environmentally very unfriendly painting methods, and then uh, water-based sort of you know kind for the environment stuff. Um, and they, they took a few generations to sort of really work that out properly, which is why you see. Um, return to Mercedes. I think you see the, the W210s particularly. They rusted like it was going out of fashion, um, and that was a lot. Of that was down to that. And also, there's a there's a rumour that it's about Soviet steel that suddenly became available post 91. But I never actually heard that you know categorically confirmed. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, build quality varied across all generations and all cars. I mean, you look at some of the Leyland stuff of the 70s was dire. Yeah. Frankly. <laughs> But it's, it was nothing new, um, but but yeah, I mean, again, it's it's down to enthusiasm. If you, you know, if you grew up on a night, I do know Fiat 
owners and specialists who, who look after them and they absolutely you know dote on them and they they obviously need restoring like any other car yeah and that's the thing any any car will rust given long enough they're all made of steel it just takes something longer yeah now most marks and most makes and most models will have an enthusiast club uh, and i should imagine the modern classics as such will will as well because i know what, one of the problems that well I'll, I'll quote you an example a friend of mine had uh until a few years ago an absolutely beautiful citroen cx gti and it was in beautiful oh, condition yeah. the engine went wrong or not the engine the ecu went wrong uh, interestingly yeah when you were talking about obscure cars that were no longer available before this before we recorded i was i was thinking of a cx right yes. and the problem the problem that he encountered was a finding a dealer who had come had a, a laptop old enough to talk to the car because the modern laptops will have nothing to do with talking to the car and in the end he was told well unless we can find this particular ecu or something something within the car's electrical stroke computer system the car is virtually a, a scrapper and you think what an absolute shame i mean yeah. how often That's does this apply to mo some of the modern classic cars because as i said we're in the era of computerization with them yeah i mean that's that's an interesting example of that and then when you know that's a very rare example i would say not only the car but also the fact that there's there's not sort of a get around because the mass majority of these these era of cars have had a following for a little while now and if there is a specialist catering for them then they're going to find a way to fix things like that i mean that that must have a standalone ECU option. There must be something you can you can get from Emerald or whatever else that can work out on on a custom map basis using a new laptop um, to work that. Right. I don't think laptops even existed when that was around. But yeah, there, there was. There's always a way around it. Is what I'm trying to say. There's a lot of talented guys and girls out there who will do the work if there's a demand for it. And if if the rarer stuff that has a, a more niche following falls through the gaps, then then obviously you are going to struggle. But I. I would still say that there's there's still a custom option somewhere. It might not be, you know, a factory part. You might have to go into aftermarket or motorsport, but there'll be some way of finding a way of mapping that, I'm sure. Yeah. And the other thing is as well, certain cars, I mean, like one, what you could call a modern classic, and they now can't class them as classics the moment they bring a new version out. One glowing example is the Volkswagen Golf GTI that went from mm. the original little boxy car all the way up... Uh, to what we have today um i mean th th i think the thing is with those the, the the older the golf the more expensive it is so i, I conclude you will see <laughs> modern classics some are very affordable some are becoming extremely valuable yes they are absolutely and and yeah you're right generally it's the it's the earlier stuff that, that always gets the attention first and that's i, I think that's just a natural progression of the owners the owners are older therefore they're a bit more you know, well healed in general. Yeah. Um, so they can afford to spend a bit more. There's there's naturally a, a market created there, and there's there's you know competition. There's a couple of people want them, then they're going to bid each other up. Um, and golfs golfs are a good example. Um, a lot of Peugeots are the same. You know, the two or five has gone mad on values. Three or sixes haven't really caught up either. They're they're sort of starting to get there. The GTI six has yeah. still got a long way to go. Um, so yeah, I mean, the the, the early eighties early to mid 80s stuff is is worth yeah the the majority of the money is there but obviously you know you, you still it, 
depends on what price bracket you're in. If you're if you're looking at a, a Ferrari five fifty, for example, that that's you know it's twenty years newer than than the mid eighties, it's it's worth a lot of money still. So yeah, nearly twenty years now. That's still that's still an expensive car relative to what it was worth new. It's it's a fraction. Yeah. So I mean, there's still there's still a lot of that. I mean, you can get Aston Martin, for example, a, a DB nine or a, or a Vantage. You know, you can pick up for about thirty grand now. Yeah. Um, and that's a huge amount of car. But it's still worth thirty grand. You know, that's not that's not changed to anyone. And, yeah. and the servicing the servicing is still, you know, prohibitive uh, if you don't have the deep pockets. So there, there's always there's always cars that are going to appeal sooner than others. And it's it's generally the stuff that you know was was very high profile in the media or on on television or films. Uh, things like the DeLorean, yeah. the DMC twelve is obviously um, a great example of that. Um, and objectively a pretty awful car but because of it, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love them I think they're fantastic they're you know to look at to drive the dire but they are they are iconic and that's that's a word that's often overused it's a bit of a swear jar thing for us but but they are iconic there's no other way of putting it they're, yeah. the Back to the Future films made them so um, and there's countless things like that, that that came up through the 80s and 90s and were were very collectible the 355 ferrari again going back to exotic stuff that was that was in goldeneye because of that people you know want it and also it's a fabulous car yeah um there's a lot of there's a lot of and it's it's again down to generations it's it's what resonated with you when you were 15 yeah actually um and that was a lot of the thinking behind modern classics now one thing that is known and you mentioned uh, of course you mentioned your liking for lotus um, if you look at the Lotus Elise now, and there's been a few generations of them, it's interesting that uh, a lot of the time now, the consensus of opinion or the common sense is, well, it was the original that was the best one. Um, how often do you find this with a modern classic whereby there's been like three or four generations or more of a particular model of car and everybody now says, well, hang on, it was the original one that was the best one. Yeah, I mean the word "best" is is the problem there. The, yeah. The defining best. It's again, it's the most iconic. Usually, it's the one that you look at and you think that's the one I want. Why? Because it was the original. It was the trendsetter. It was the mold breaker. It was the one that I wanted when I was fifteen. If it, I, I personally would argue against that in terms of the objective. You know, is this the best car? No, probably not. It's usually the second or third generation that gets it bang on. Yeah. Um. The Esprit is definitely a, an example of that. The first ones are, they're fantastic to look at, but to drive, you know, they are still, uh, at the end of the day, a two-litre four-cylinder, which is not particularly glorious these days, but yeah. you, get to series, you get to Series 3 Esprit, um, and it's got a bit more power, it's got a Lotus engine, it's bespoke, it's got, you know, the turbo suspension and chassis, it's 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 sorted, um, and, and gradually things were improved um, as time went on. The, the Elise is an interesting one, because... Uh, from a, I've driven a very, very recent, a brand new um, 250 Cup Elise, and and was blown away by how good it was actually, and and I'm, I'm very much of the mindset where I normally, I would default to an older generation of anything. Yeah. Um. So I was I was interested but slightly tentative when I when I went to drive it, um. But it was everything that the original lease is just turned up to eleven. Yeah. So. The seats were better. The handling was better. The engine was more responsive. The gear, the gear shift was fabulous. And any Series One Elise owner will tell you that's rare, unless it's been modified. You know, they do get a bit, a bit woolly as they get old. Yeah. Um, but, but again, the if you want visceral, raw experience, then yeah, the the, the first Elise was was 
hard to beat. Um, but then, you know, most people would, would, a lot of people would get into an Elise now, a, a Series 1 Elise, and just think, this is a death trap. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, when you're 20, you're fearless. And you, you, I, I absolutely thought one. I should have bought one. They've, they've climbed a bit out of my price range now, annoyingly. But um, I, I should have bought one when they were when they were cheap, really. Because they, they are superb driver's machines. They are up there with the very best that have yeah. been made, in my opinion. Um, but, but even now, I get into them. I'm only mid-30s. I get into them, I think, you know, yeah, it's a bit hairy. On the, on the you know, the wrong road on the wrong day and you've got, you know, traffic sort of moving around you, you do feel vulnerable. Um, but then on a B road, you know, on a summer, summer's day up in the Welsh mountains, it's it's absolutely life-affirming. Yeah. So it depends is the answer, I suppose. Mark, Mark won the golf, going back to the golf, because it's, it's an easy one for everyone to gauge if everyone understands them. The Mark 1 GTI was was you know an, an absolute game changer it did it did do away with the british sports car in the end um it well just putting in i mean the golf gti the original one was never meant to be and that was a result of some some guys at volkswagen who took a golf it, yeah. and said i wonder if we can fit a performance 1.6 engine into this they did do and the gti was unofficially born but it was a car that was never meant to be by rights that's it. It was the Golf Sport originally, and it used cam uh, carbs. Sorry, so it wasn't even a GTI. But yeah, the 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 idea was a Skunk Works project from Volkswagen, and and they were they were cock on really. Um, and and you know, I don't think even they knew that the thing is Volkswagen were very uh, still are a very conservative company. They were worried about um, this this sporty golf not being right and not selling enough. And and lo and behold, as soon as they released it, the world went mad for it. <laughs> um, but but again, objectively, fabulous looking thing. Excuse me. Um, they are good fun to drive, but they still feel they still they feel really old. You know, yeah. and that's that's the thing. If if you if you don't mind that, they're wonderful. I don't mind it. I think they're fabulous things to drive. But the actually the best car I've I've had I must have twenty twenty five golfs DTIs through my time. Yeah. Um, and the best by far for me is still uh, short of the rally specials is the sixteen valve Mark Two. Yeah. Um, and I've got a couple of those in my workshop, and I'm, I'll never sell them because they they got the GTI for me absolutely bang on. So they were comfortable enough to not feel like you were really you know struggling. Yeah, you, you were deaf or you smelled fumes or you know <laughs> they don't have that sort of real classic feel which the Mark ones do, which is lovely again, but you know it's not it's not for everyone. Um, and the Mark II just had the, had a bit of punch. The 16 valve had a bit more grunt, and that they're a bit lower and harder, and they just handle better. And it 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 took everything that the Mark One kicked off, and it just refined it into something that was for me perfect. Um, but again, the values are all in the Mark Ones. Yeah, I mean the interesting thing is with the Mark One GTI, the runout models actually acquired the 1.8 engine, so they suddenly they got did. the power hike in them. They did, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got a, I've got a Scirocco with that engine. Um, I've got a Storm. Yeah, and that's uh, that's a lovely thing to, to drive around. It's it's a very different experience to the one point six. One point six is um, it's quite frantic. It's quite you know hard work. You've got to keep it on the boil. Uh, you've got to rev it out really, which is fine. It's good fun, but sometimes you want to sort of relax and cruise a little bit and not be on it. And um, the one point eight just makes it a bit easier. It's a bit talky, low down. Yeah. Uh, it's the same argument with the MX-5 and the 205. You know, they've all got the same. Do you want the, the little screamy thrasher engine, or do you want the slightly, slightly better 
inverted commas, uh, more powerful one. And yeah. it's, again, it's down to preference, and they're both there for everyone, which is great. Yeah. Now, a lot of the cards we've been talking about, like the, the, the performance hatchbacks, I mean... A lot of them, by the time they found their third or their fourth owner, uh, then went under the, because uh, you mentioned it earlier on, the Max Power. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the dreaded Max Power, yeah. I mean, we, we all, I, I'm, I have a really difficult relationship with Max Power and that era because, um, I mean, we all we all kind of dipped into it. I remember being the kind of guy who, my first car was a, was a Mark II Golf, actually. Yeah. And I, I um, hand me down for my parents, and I, I put bigger speakers in it and alloys and, and uh, a chrome tip on the exhaust. You know, I thought I was the, the dog dangler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I, look, I look back now and cringe. But, but you did it, because that, that, was, that was what every teenage boy in the late 90s, mid to late 90s and noughties did. You know, yeah. early noughties. That was, that was a very much a cultural phenomenon. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, indebted to it in some ways but i'm also glad we've grown up so i mean a lot of these cars now i conclude that if you can find them have have a lot of them been taken back to how they were or yeah. do, do you still buy them semi max powered or semi max powered and then the task is to actually take it back to what it was no 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 absolutely not so yeah i mean for a long time now it must be nearly a decade the the uh the consensus has very much been to return it to standard because the, the values are there. And like I said, a lot of us have grown up, we're in our, we're in our 30s and 40s or more, and, and we don't we don't want, you know, a dustbin exhaust and neon down the side. It's, it's <laughs> so, some people do, you know, there's still, there's still some hanging on, but I mean, they are very much the, the exception to the rule. Yeah. Sorry, rather than the rule. Um, and you do, you do still see it. Actually, what we, we tend to do is... Uh, like my sort of peers, we tend to, to to email each other or WhatsApp photos when we do find one of the old Max Power survivors because it, it brings back nostalgia, good and bad. Um, <laughs> and you still see, you know, you see. Just putting it was also it was also the era when uh, young ladies uh, made themselves look, <laughs> made themselves look like a Terry's chocolate orange because it was, yeah. the, the fashion was to how orange is your girlfriend? By God, yeah. you'll do. <laughs> yeah, like I said, we've all grown up. Thankfully, it's uh, it's it's a it's. It's part of history, and it was part of my youth. So you know, I look, I look at it with some fondness. But um, but yeah, it wasn't for me. <laughs> the whole the whole hog, thankfully. Now, I mean, running a modern classic. I mean, there's the other phrase for it. Some people call it bangonomics, which is running a car. But well, it's eleven months of MOT, and if it gets to it, then fantastic, because I've only paid oh. three hundred quid for it. Um, okay. And. Yep. A, a great friend of mine who is a great exponent of this is former Top Gear presenter Steve Berry, who paid just under 300 quid for a, a big Citroen XMS state. And this thing's still going strong. Whether the car's a okay. classic or not, I don't know. But, I mean, there's so few of those about, you think, well, all of a sudden, it's a classic. I'd say it is. Yeah, I'd say it is. Um, yeah, that's a very different different sort of school of thought. I think that's, um, that's to me, that's difficult, because that's not... That's not really the enthusiasm we're talking about. We're, so what I'm talking about, and what we what we very much dealt with in modern classics, was was putting cars on pedestals and really, you know, looking after them and doting on them and spending your weekends polishing them and making sure they were they were you know factory condition or better. Yeah. Um, and often spending far far more than the cars worth in in restoring them. And I'm I'm as guilty as anyone for that. That's why I'm penniless all the time. <laughs> <laughs> 
Bionomics is a very different thing. I mean, we've all done it. I've I've had plenty of stuff that I've you know I've I've ran on a shoestring, shall we say? But it's it's not it's not the way I like to look at cars of yeah. this era. Anyway, put it that way. I mean, they're still they are still around, and and you see them occasionally. And I've obviously gone to go see them and, and not bought them for that reason because <laughs> you can tell that they're hanging on by a thread. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it, it, people do do it. I can see the appeal. Um, uh, it's not for me anymore <laughs> i used to do it but the reason i mentioned bangonomics that i will say uh, the the beauty to a degree of a modern classic is it is new enough to potentially be run as a daily driver how many people who own a modern classic actually use it on a frequent basis very few um is the answer i think it, it depends on what you mean as 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 frequent i think daily very few um weekly probably all of us um the the difference what what we need to sort of clear up here is that a modern classic in the in the eyes of an insurer is a classic yeah so a lot of the time it will be on a classic policy right now that means that means obviously limited mileage um very specific use often um and you you have to be using it as your second car you have to have another car usually a, a new car or a new, nearly new car yeah as your daily so so if, if you have a classic policy if, if you are just run, running an older car um on any old policy then obviously that's that's different to what we're talking about i think a lot of the i don't know anyone who has a, a collectible modern classic who, who just sticks it on a you know, direct line policy or whatever, um, something from money supermarket. That that doesn't happen. It's the, these these guys are enthusiasts. They yeah. they want to care for their they care for their car. And, and nine times out of ten, it's it's in the garage most of the week, and it comes out of the weekend. Yeah. Now, if somebody's looking to buy a modern classic, um, we've already discussed quite a lot of them. But what is starting to rear its head as the potential next modern classics? Because if you work on the theory that these cars are approximately 20 years old, or, if, or possibly 15 years old, what out there is starting to knock on the door of classicdom? Wow. Again, well, I mean, how long have we got again? Um, the, the, the turn of the millennium. So when we got to... We sort of got... Uh, to about 2010 in modern classics we stopped about there but yeah. I mean, in, in terms of in terms of our interest we we sort of collectively stopped caring past about 2005 2006 yeah um i think just there was a there was a major tipping point around that era when when cars just started getting too much tech they got you know cars had traction control for a long time but yeah. you started having you know emergency braking and and uh, lane lane sort of avoidance and things like that which was just it was just needless rubbish really that sort of got in the way and cars got hugely heavy and they had to have more and more obscene horsepower in order to to still feel entertaining and engaging to drive and that's that's very much not what enthusiasts tend to, to want they tend to want less in the way of the driving experience so you're more connected to it as i'm sure a lot of the classic guys would agree so i mean in rule of thumb again anything that's in the first decade of the noughties is starting to to attract a following um and i think in that in that era we're sort of talking it's tricky really e46 m3 yeah that's a good one um they're they're becoming collectible uh d39 m5 for the same reason um 
sort of Italian stuff, I guess the GTV, Alpha GTV is very popular. Yeah. The 916, you know, the Spider and the Coupe, I've had, a, I've had one of those, I loved it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's so many. There's so many. Mark V Golf GTI was the was the comeback kit for the GTI, people yeah. like that, rightly so. Um, not so much the Mark IV, although the R32 is, is up there. Yes. Um, Focus RS, first generation Focus RS. Um, they're already they've already moved though I mean a lot of this stuff you know has has a following already yeah um, and uh, the, the the difficulty will be predicting beyond that um, really what sort of what 2010 2011 2012 yeah. know, kind of cars are, are, are collectible and there are there are obviously some in there um, we just we just intended to to avoid the too much complicated tech because but I mean like the, sorry go on. no carry, no carry on I was just going to say sports cars, really. I mean, the the, the perennial favourites, the 911, yeah. the 996, 997, Generation 911s, um, the R35 uh, GTR, uh, Audi R8, first generation Audi R8, manual yeah. V8, that's a fabulous car, absolutely fabulous. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's again, there's every, every strata of, of uh, budget, there's something there for everyone. Now the interesting thing is, like certain, like you were talking about, years, a great friend of mine who I know will be listening. Good morning, Andy. Um, it's a little bit like he did a, a photo shoot for one of the big classic car insurance companies, and he has a collection of cars. But his daily driver is an is a Mark One Ford Focus, and they now are being reckoned to be one of the up and coming must have classics. Is a Focus. Yeah. I mean, he's not wrong. I had one. I had run one for a year and a half during my bagonomics phase. We we're talking about. Actually. Yeah. Um, I had a very rare one. I had a I had a one point eight, um, but it was an LPG Focus from the factory. Yeah. Um, so that was a that was extremely rare. I think it was actually rarer than an RS. No one cared. I mean, it was just <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. I mean, that's a fabulous car. And again, that's. Um, talk about the golf actually just then that's the car that made volkswagen sit up and take notice yeah and, and uh, if you've driven a mark one focus you know why they're fantastic things um i had i had i had a diesel one for a period of time and the one thing i always remember about it it was the 1.8 z tech though at times they, well they didn't do a z tech diesel well no the, the car it was the speck of the car that was z tech it just had it, to have yeah. a diesel put into it the handling and everything else of that car was absolutely yeah. superb yeah, they were, they were, and that was all down to the the rear, the rear suspension. We we did a feature, we did a great feature actually. We went to um, uh, Nathan, my assistant editor, former, uh, went to go and interview um, Richard Perry Jones, who was the the guy who engineered that that rear suspension. And um, yeah, his his argument was to to make sure that even the most basic model in the range handled, just yeah. have them all as a default level playing field that they would all handle beautifully. Yeah. Um, and in that era, you know, you look at the competition, the Mark IV Golf was overweight, sluggish. Um, there were, I mean, Clio's were great at that point as well, but there was there was a, there was a real sort of leftover almost in technology where, where sort of hatchbacks were still relying on the stuff they'd been using in the 80s and the early 90s. Uh, Ford just really moved the game on with that and independent rear suspension yeah. just changed, changed it entirely. And then suddenly overnight, customers they couldn't even say why but customers expected better um and i think that's uh, that's a lovely thing to sort of g up the whole market when someone does that is that they they uh, they give a product that's better but even 
non-petrol head get it. So like my mum, who has an E46 uh, Touring, actually, she's still got it. Yeah. She she doesn't she's not doesn't know about cars whatsoever, but she knows that that car handles nicely. Yeah. And it does. It handles really neatly. And the focus is the same. People would people get into it, and they test drive it, and they just go, oh, it's nippy, and oh, isn't it? Isn't it nice around corners? And I won't be able to tell you why. But they knew it was a nice thing to drive. Yeah, um, and and that was that was crucial for the focus. And and you know Ford never looked back since. And a fair place and well done. And I mean the other thing is with more modern cars. I mean you open the bonnet on a modern car now, and you're uh, you're greeted with a vast expanse <laughs> of plastic uh, sheeting, yeah. which is designed to make sure you don't go anywhere near the oily bits. Um, a real shame. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the modern classics are, are the owners able to still work on them if they have the the knowledge, etc. Yes, I mean that's I mean that's something I do frequently. So I I, I have a workshop and I, I I get under the bonnet of everything I own. And I um I had a 2007 uh, Volvo C30 that was um, pretty troublesome, and um, I, I did I did change the turbo on that, and it was surprisingly straightforward. So I think there is this perception. Um, and I mean, rightly so for some of the exotic stuff. I've got um, I've got a V8 five series and E39, and that's oh, yeah. its engine. Its engine's popped sadly, um, and I've bought a replacement engine. It's it's kind of sat on a pallet for the last three or four months, and I've just looked at it and scratched my head because there's so many electrical connections and vacuum lines and you know ECU sensors, and <laughs> it, it, it depends on what the car is. Again, if it's something simple and, and fairly straightforward, the Volvo was based on a Focus, so I mean it wasn't it wasn't that difficult. Once you get Again, you get away from all of the plastic and all of the, the electrical connections. You've still got a block, a head, you know, cams and a turbo. Yeah. It, it, it's not it's not fundamentally any different from something made 30 years earlier. Yeah. But but all of the peripheral stuff is. So as long as you, you know, so you're careful and you label everything and you make sure... <laughs> well, I'm speaking from experience there. Make sure you label everything. Take photos. Um, even draw a diagram. I've done that before where I've, I've actually drawn a picture of the block and... and arrows to where I've taken things off and numbered them and put a num- corresponding sticker on the on the sensor because if you do get it wrong that's that is a big job and you have to generally go to a specialist to find out what you've not done correctly yeah so I mean uh, answer your question I suppose yes and no I mean if you're if you're competent mechanically you shouldn't be scared by anything anything in the modern classic era really apart from the properly exotic stuff and then you know that would scare you anyway if you tried to you tried to do a clutch on a, a 308, for example, that would be pretty terrifying. Even yeah. It's 30 or 40 years old. It doesn't, it doesn't really change. But I suppose the thing is, you, you talk to some mechanics, and I think to a qualified mechanic, the clutch on a 308 is pretty daunting, as it is, because a, lo- a lot of these cars, it was an engine-out job for them, wasn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it just doesn't change. It still is. I mean, some specialists are very good these days. A lot of the guys I talk to have found they found get-arounds for certain things and they've, they've worked out clever ways of doing things or they've made their own tools that make life easier. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it's um, it, it's fine. If you're competent and you do your research, yeah, or get some specialist advice or even take to a specialist, dare I say it. <laughs> if, you, if you get out your depth, there's plenty out there. I mean, pretty much every car is catered for by someone. And the other thing is, if all else fails, just go and ask YouTube, because I think there's now a film on YouTube to to cover any aspect of any yeah. car, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I use YouTube regularly. I mean, I never used to. I used to be a Haynes man yeah. through and through, and I still I still have a Haynes manual, you know, pretty much religiously for every car I own, and that's a great reference to get you in the ballpark. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's nothing beats seeing it in front of you done. You can directly reference 
you know what someone's done in front of you to what you're looking at that's brilliant that's a great it's a great uh, tool to use but, no John Joe Volans, that's been absolutely fantastic because, it, as I said, I wanted, I've been wanting to talk about modern classic cars for a long while, and it's taken me a while to find somebody who can talk to me about modern classics because <laughs> it's it's an aspect of motoring and an enthusiasm for cars that is is growing. I mean, the Federation of British Historical Vehicle Clubs has announced that there's been an increase over what the past eighteen months of of 200,000 classic car owners and I should imagine a percentage of those will be modern classic guys so yeah, once again John Joe thank you very much for joining me here on the Backseat Driver radio show absolute pleasure thank you very much on price never beaten on service whether it's cars bikes or commercials Hoddy tires are the best in the business and when it comes to tire expertise and advice to supplying the correct tires for your vehicle specific requirements nobody comes close to david lakin and the Hoddy tires team so give them a call on 01200 613 192 or visit the website at hoddytires.co.uk 